0: This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, friends, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks for being here today. Today on the show, we have Jim Walmsley. 2023 UTMB champion. Jim became the first American male to win this race. He's attempted four previous times and over a year ago decided to move to France and he's been training over there. He tells us what he did differently in this training and he tells us a little bit about the race. What I love about Jim is he knows how to come on a podcast like this, where it's not a bunch of super technical trail runners. And he also goes on those more technical podcasts. So he kind of breaks down UTMB for the everyday runner like myself and maybe you in a really easy to digest way, but also very interesting way. Uh, Jim is also the 2018, 2019, and 2021 Western States champion. He holds the course record there in 14 hours and nine minutes. In this podcast, we also talk about his wife, Jess, and how she supports him, uh, what living in France has been like for them, what it's like racing as a front runner, overcoming difficult times, because he's got a lot of shiny wins to him, his name, but he's been through a lot of very difficult races as well. And you might not know, but he does some like fun small races over in France as well that we don't even hear about. And so he shares a little bit about what that's like in the episode as well. Uh, Jim is super kind for taking time to come on the show. I'm super excited for him, and it's exciting to see what he has been doing in this space. I really hope you enjoy my conversation with Jim. And before we get started talking with Jim, I wanna thank 2 Before for being a supporter of this podcast. If you're looking for a way to increase your endurance, manage inflammation, support immunity, and promote adaptation in your body, Two before is a great product that boosts your athletic performance. It's made with the black currant berry, which helps bring oxygenated blood to your muscles. I've been taking it before long runs, hard workouts, and I really enjoy not only the taste, but how it makes me feel. And they are offering you a 30% discount. You can go to two before.com, that's the number two before.com, and use the code Lindsay, and that will get you 30% off a 20-pack order. That's 2b4.com. Use the code Lindsay. That gets you 30% off a 20-pack. All right, friends. Please enjoy my conversation with Jim Walmsley. All right, friends. Today on the podcast, I am so excited to welcome back Jim Walmsley. Welcome to the show, Jim.
1: Hey, Lindsay. Yeah, thanks for having me again.
0: How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, I'm just kind of... Uh balancing, uh, post big race combined with some recovery combined with life, uh, and then planning for the next steps already.
0: Well, the first place we have to start is an obvious big congratulations for winning UTMB. So congratulations.
1: Thanks. Yeah. It was a pretty exciting and kind of big goal that I've been working towards.
0: Do you feel like overwhelmed after big events like this when you have like, a swarm of media requesting interviews and whatnot. I ask that because I always hesitate to ask people after big wins like, Oh my gosh, everybody and their mom is asking Jim for an interview.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, It definitely feels overwhelming and you have people trying to contact you from all sorts of different avenues. Um, I think in years past after Western States, I feel like my strategy has always been to just go camping in the mountains almost immediately and so I'm just out of service and it doesn't work. So, uh, but this year, um, France has better uh, cell service and internet connection, I guess.
0: How do you decide, like, what I'm going to say yes to, what I'm going to say no to? Because I'm sure that it's overwhelming.
1: Well, before this race specifically, I kind of tried to be better about just saying no to everything before the race. Mm. And then with that in mind, I've been trying to say yes to everything after the race. Um, and no, there, there's no like picking and choosing per se, I would say.
0: So UTMB, tell us what this race and this win, like why is this win so significant and what did it mean to you?
1: Well, um, I guess most of your uh, audience is road running based, right? Yeah. So for some context, uh, UTMB is Ultra Trail Mont Blanc. It's um, just over a hundred miles, about usually a hundred five mile uh, loop around Mont Blanc. Uh, it starts in Chamonix, France. You run through uh, out of France into Italy. You run through Courmayeur, um, out the other side to Switzerland, and then you loop it back through Switzerland, uh, circumnavigating the whole mountain back into France, and you finish again in. Chamonix, France, Um, I guess this year it took me 19 hours and 37 minutes to to do the whole loop and in years past, so this was my fifth attempt, um, in years past I've finished two and I've not finished two other um, attempts at this race, it has over 10,000 meters of up and down, Um, so it's 33,000 feet of equal up elevation and down elevation. Um, which is just kind of, uh, uh, it's a lot. Um, it basically breaks your legs down enough where everyone feels, doesn't matter if you're the first finisher, or the last finisher, setting a course record, running from split, the uh, like cutoffs at aid stations, and a- everybody goes through um, really difficult times because I kind of just say it's, a, it's enough of a course that breaks everyone down and everyone feels terrible to get to the finish mm-hmm. line. Um, and let's see, uh, it was its 20th year at this race. Um, and so, uh, I've been working at it for about, uh, five, six years, um, to try to, uh, do better here or at least make the podium, I guess. I've finished off the podium in fifth place and fourth place in the past.
0: Thank you for breaking that down. I listened to your interview with Finn and with Dylan and I was like, this is definitely the podcast for the more common folk runner and when i say common folk i mean us marathoners half marathoners yeah but that being said they're all following utmb they just don't know the nitty-gritty and the ins and outs and if they listen to your podcast with finn they'd be like what the heck is he talking about so i appreciate that breakdown more
1: technical um but i i understand like uh if you're definitely not in ultra running world um UTMB is on the more obscure side of uh, ultra running, especially even if you compare it to U.S. ultra running because UTMB is kind of European-based and they run in the Alps, so they have all this mandatory gear and typically you run with poles and the pack. And um, The other catch of it, too, is they start at 6 p.m., so everybody runs through the first night and then the lucky ones that take a little longer to get around the loop get an, a bonus extra night. Um, So it gets really complicated with all the logistics and making sure that you're warm enough and and taking care of your your needs throughout your your adventure.
0: I know you moved over to France and I actually just this is kind of random. I just interviewed Stephanie Howe as well, who's also in France. Yeah. Um, So it's kind of fun doing these interviews back to back. But so I know you moved over there. So tell us like the reasoning behind that and the different things you did this year in preparation for UTMB compared to the other four times that you've attempted to go for that win.
1: Yeah. So, um, I moved to France with my wife, Jess, uh, in May, 2022. Um, yeah. And so we've been here for about a a year and a half. Um, And with that, I guess it was a bigger commitment. I think last year I ran UTMB. uh, I took fourth place. It was about three, four months after getting to France. But I think last year there was a bit of acknowledging that there was a baseline stress with not just coming here for a training block and kind of using an American passport to stay here for 90 days, but actually going through like more of the immigration process to have a visa to stay here. Um, so, uh, and, and even just, I remember before UTMB last year, I think two weeks before we were finally able to buy a car, which was a lot more complicated than we thought. And, and then maybe the most, the biggest change really has been how rural, uh, my wife Jess and I are living. It's been a really big adjustment for us. Uh, we live, um, so I guess if Chamonix, the start of the race, uh, I think technically it only has like 10,000 residents. It's kind of small, but it has tons and tons of tourists, so it feels very crowded. But the nearest bigger bigger city to that would be ANSI, um, which a lot of outdoor brands are, are based out of. Um, that's about an hour away from Chamonix. We're about another kind of hour away from ANSI, uh, back up a different valley. Um, and we live outside of a town of maybe 700 to 1,000 people, but we're about two miles outside of that. And then wow, a few more miles, it's maybe a town of less than 3,000. And then 40 minutes away, we have maybe a more normal-sized town that's 50,000, 70,000. And then we can finally connect into Train Network that way uh, down in Albertville.
0: Wow. Okay. So that would be extremely challenging for me. I'm a very social person. Yeah. What about you two? Like what is your default as far as like socializing and living in a more city-like environment?
1: I, I've i liked it because uh, I just can start every day out my from my house and in many different directions. I can go over a thousand meters or 3,000 feet and Depending on which way, I can go up to 5,000 feet just straight up from my house and then connects into bigger, more and more mountains. It's less like Flagstaff. We have a bit of our little mountain Eldon and then a bigger mountain Humphreys. Um, And Eldon's kind of the backdoor one, but the elevation difference is quite small. It's uh, less than 3,000 feet tall um, from the base. So training-wise, and I guess I'm fulfilled a lot by... Uh, kind of the outdoor adventures what I get with the process of training for these long ultras I really enjoy my my long days out um, and many times that's with friends um, however my wife Jess has uh, had a different story she's much more social than me mm-hmm. I, I kind of say she like uh, makes me more approachable and everybody's more friends with Jess and then Uh, I get invited along because everyone wants to hang out with her. (laughs) But she's struggled a lot more being this rural. Mm -hmm. And then, in addition, um, our valley is very French-speaking, and both of us came here with pretty much no French. Uh, I've taken some French in the past, so um, I was a little bit ahead of her. Um, But when we showed up, we we couldn't do anything in French, basically. So between the language and... um, being so rural, uh, it's been really difficult for her, but um, now, fa- and I guess the other side of it, we haven't moved in over five years. Um, we've been in Flagstaff for quite some time. So just just moving is was a new hard thing for us, and then add in uh, moving countries, different language, very rural, all these things. Um, I think last year had a lot more uh, stress involved with all of that, but... We've started to figure things out. We, we have um, a bigger kind of network of friends now and uh, we really like the little community we're here in uh, France, um, but she definitely misses her friends back home and kind of uh, her, her she, she has a really nice like girls running group in Flagstaff that she misses.
0: Yeah, that would be so challenging. I mean, it is true when they say like one of the top three life stressors you ever go through is moving. Like that is so true add in moving to another country. Um, so I can imagine even if you hoped it wouldn't take a toll on that race, that it took a toll on the race.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. To make matters more. Yeah. We, we got married like a month before we moved here, too. <laughs> so yeah. it was just like all, all which is also stressful. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's like a beautiful time in your life, but it's still stressful.
1: But at the same time, it's a really good, I guess, life growth thing to do. And we, we both look at it right now. And um, even though many times it's been hard, it's one of the best like personal growth things we could have done and really taken us outside of our comfort zone, um, which everybody's comfort zone is different and this and that. But um, th- this one's been challenging at times and um but we're both very, like, happy and grateful that we, we've we tried to make uh, some uh, growth progress this way.
0: So I have Jess as one of my talking points for the interview. So since we're already talking about her, let's talk about her. Yeah. Um, I know that – I don't know. You tell me if sacrifice is the right word, that she's sacrificed a lot and, like, been a super huge support system for you and in, in this journey – um, my f- friend Peter Bromka sent me a video of her. I think she was um, at an aid station for you at UTMB last year. It's like such a beautiful video. Um, when I told him I was interviewing you, he said, This is my favorite, one of my favorite post race videos with Jim. Um, so I would just love to hear you talk a little bit about her, like her career, and also like what she's doing for you at this time in your career.
1: Yeah. So, um, Jess and I met at an ultra race. We we definitely, like, kind of the long trail running stuff was a big thing in both of our lives when we met. Um, she is a, in the U.S., she's a dental hygienist, so that's what she does in FlexF. However, she, um, or I guess France, doesn't have that position for people to work as dental hygienists. They have, like, dentists and dental assistants, but no, like, teeth cleaning people in between um so she's not working here in france um so she's really struggled with uh i guess not as much to do and not being as used to um trying to fill her own time and then a lot of kind of the motivations to come here has been guided by some of my goals so um for her to restructure things and it it's difficult a lot of the times and it, it is a sacrifice like she's definitely supporting mm-hmm. me above and beyond to help make these kind of dreams come true and to have a chance at them and that's really all it is is because none of it's guaranteed like uh it worked out at UTMB this year but I mean even during the race like pretty close to the finish it's still like this could unravel like uh, yeah there, there's all sorts of doubts throughout everything and so you kind of got to focus more and more on probably non-race goal stuff mm-hmm. of what's motivating you to to be here and do things. And um, I think a lot of that's been she's been able to explore Europe a bit more than me because I kind of bunker down um, here in our home of a rush. Um, but she's gotten to do more smaller trips with friends that have come over from the U.S. or friends that live in France. She's she's gone and done little bike trips so that's helped but um yeah uh so we're we're trying to make some choices next year to go back to Flagstaff and spend some more time on uh what will make her a bit more happy and us more well-rounded as a couple um uh Mm -hmm. so next year we're making some choices towards that
0: yeah it's it's hard but also like I don't know, when I imagine looking back, you'll say, oh, it was just a blip in this like long life that we have, but like in the moment, it feels very all-encompassing for sure.
1: Yeah. Last year definitely felt uh, slow at times, and it just (laughs) like, we've only been here for five months. It's not that long of a time, but then uh, she, yeah, she, she just handles the being over here a bit different and- um, again, not having like these races that she has to like prepare for, um, I think is a big difference between like my motivation to, to get out and do things where she can feel a little more lost with uh, kind of creating those goals.
0: A quick break here to thank Prevenex for supporting the podcast. If you are looking for an incredible joint health supplement, look no further than Joint Health Plus they have natural anti-inflammatory clinically proven ingredients in the joint health plus the two ingredients that they are known for are NEM and Boswellin. this is a proprietary formula that provides the best joint protection and relief you will notice an improvement on your joint stiffness and flexibility in 7 to 10 days and this protects joint cartilage from breakdown during exercise All right, so the great thing about Prevanex is they have a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you're not seeing results, they will refund you. And I have talked to so many runners who have seen incredible benefits from the Joint Health Plus. I take Joint Health Plus every day as well. This is premium quality stuff. And you can save 15% when you go to Prevanex.com. Use the code ANOTHER and that'll get you 15% off your order. They also have a great multivitamin and multivitamins for kids, as well as amazing vegan protein powder. Those are the products I use every day. The protein powder, the joint health, and the multivitamin. Go to Prevnex.com, use the code ANOTHER, and that'll get you 15% off your order. All right, friends, back to the show. So you mentioned, um, you know, the race this year feeling like, oh, it it got down to like pretty close towards the end when you weren't sure, like, am I going to be able to do this or not? Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, you know, we don't have to get into like, if people want to hear the nitty nitty gritty, like we talked about, they can listen to Finn's podcast or Dylan's podcast, but can you just share a little bit more depth about the race?
1: Yeah. So, um, kind of the, the first half of the race is a bit standard. Um, you either get through it or you, you don't. A lot of people end up dropping the race in Cormier, which is, uh, I think, mentally, a lot of people see Cormier. It's your last chance to get an easy ride back home. Um, so a telling point is kind of how you feel going through Cormier. So you start at 6 p.m. in Chamonix. You get to Cormier at 2 a.m. It's the middle of night. It's been really quiet. It's cold outside. Um, but from Cormier to, uh, basically sunrise, um, I would say I hit pretty low point. I was leading the race, um, at that point, but then maybe like hundred, 110 K, um, into the 170 K route, uh, definitely started hitting a low moment, um, in this patch. So the high point of the course is called Grand Col um, where you cross from Italy to, to Switzerland, Um, and basically in many races in the past, I've hit low points there. I've been in the lead there before and I've had it kind of spiral, uh, and fall apart. Um, specifically just last year in 2022, I was the first one over Grand Colferay descending on the other side, thinking that, um, all right, here we go. I need to push. And then kind of, there's a basically a half marathon descent of just downhill trail, And it's runnable at times, but you can also overcook yourself. So I think last year in 2022, I kind of overcooked myself there, trying to make a bigger gap on second place. And this year, I found myself in a bit of role reversal. And I actually got past during that low moment and was just, oh, man, I don't know who's racing behind Zach and I at the front and kind of really questioning whether um, or how many guys would end up Passing me, and then and then even I've had years here where uh, I think Courtney DeWalter finished seventh overall, and she passed me uh, just before going into Switzerland. And just oh man, it's one of these rough days where just everyone going by uh, knows you. They say hi, but there's also just they keep chugging along past you. Um, definitely doubts of that happening again. Um, but it wasn't until I got to it's the 125 kilometer mark out of the 170. Um, you finally see your crew after like basically another six hour gap through the night from Cormier, And it's kind of a, a reset point where I got to see Jess. I got to have some warm food, um, repack my bag and, and it's, you switch into some lighter clothing because now it's daytime and it starts to get hot. Um, but before hitting that point, um, kind of thinking everything was spiraling, uh, and falling apart again, um but then kind of a couple changes at the aid station changed my shoes and stuff. And, uh, I was able to kind of turn the momentum around and, uh, pick up, uh, some speed after that.
0: How do you shift your mindset when you're like in the place where you're like thinking, Oh my gosh, I might be losing it. I might be losing it To, I don't have to do that. I can go to that dark, dark place.
1: Yeah. I think last year's was really interesting. Um, Because I I was in the lead, uh, I guess, at 125k, same point, um, and I was falling apart. I kind of knew it. So I had almost 50k left, and I was pretty much done. like I couldn't go forward very well, um, but one of my thoughts last year was just, well, let's make it as hard as possible for anyone to catch me. And a lot of times I'd try to start jogging, and I mean, it was just faster to just walk than I was jogging at times um but basically moving forward uh was a really hard it, as long as you're moving it's really hard to catch someone that's moving the same direction you're going um so overall i, I ended up fourth and I'm, so i only lost three positions kind of with this mentality of like just keep crawling forward and just try to finish at the finish line before everybody catches you um And I think that was a really good learning experience um, to just hang in there, hang in there. And then when similar kind of low points happened again this year, um, Zach went from being one minute ahead, three minutes ahead, 10 minutes ahead, and just you're seeing that split grow. It was just hang in there. It's a low patch, hang in there, hang in there. And I mean, at times, and in retrospect, it even felt ignorant to just try to, stay positive about it but um Mm. this time though hanging in there kept me close enough so when I did come back around I was able to eat more um I was still close enough to to make that ground back up
0: well and I heard you say that you wanted to say to Zach like if anybody's gonna win it other than me I want it to be you yeah yeah how do you deal with those feelings (sighs) mid-race
1: uh those are definitely my thoughts when zach passed me um we were still in italy um because i would say zach miller uh who ended up second this year myself and another guy tim Tolson. i feel like the three of us have kind of just hammered 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 at trying to win utmb um and Mm. basically try to get a male winner at this race for the u.s and even just media-wise, it seems like people unfairly put pressure on Americans to do better at UTMB, but it's like uh, plenty of countries need a first winner of the race. Like, why Why are we getting these questions? Um, but the U.S., I think numbers-wise, still has the most trail runners in the world, and I think actually France, is by numbers, is maybe number two, despite being a, a much, much smaller country. Um, but oh. So with Zach being one of these guys that's been running UTMB since 2015 and just kind of knowing that we, we've both had struggles there, maybe underperformed, um, to see him really charging forward, uh, it was still a positive uh, takeaway for mm. me to, to be there to just at least someone one of us is having a breakthrough sort of thing.
0: And I think most people listening or a lot of people listening probably saw the interview after where you said you're standing on the shoulders of all the American women who have have won in the past. I shared that on my Instagram because I thought it was I I thought it was really special and important that you that you answer that question that way. Can you talk about the inspiration you have gained from the American women?
1: Yeah. So um, there's been five American women that have won uh, all before I ever won. So I'm the sixth American to win. Um, but most of them have won more than once. I think maybe Nikki Kimmel and Katie Scheid have won once each. But then uh, Chrissy, Courtney, and R- Rory have all won. Uh, I guess Courtney now won three times, and then the other two, two. But, I mean, you start looking at the women's winners. Uh, the American women have just, like, kicked butt at this race um again and again I, you can kind of count on uh an american woman being quite competitive at this race uh, and it's just always a, a weird question because people say well why why don't we have an american man on the other side and it's like I, I don't know we just have really strong women that are breaking through and um i mean especially in recent years i think courtney's won like three of the last four utmbs so with Katie Scheid filling in the other one. So um yeah, I, I don't I don't know why why I don't do as well. I mean, I I don't think uh comparatively <laughs> I'm as dominant as they are uh in in mm. like my respective gender, I guess.
0: Uh can you talk about as someone who I mean I think a lot of people consider, would say Courtney's the goat on the women's side, Jim's the goat on the men's side seeing what Courtney did with that three win at Western Hard Rock and UTMB, like what does that look like to you as someone who is in her position on the male side?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think everybody's jaws have just hit the ground on that one because it's, it's not really explainable of, uh, I, I don't think anyone's ever stringed together 300 mile ultras of that sort of competitive and difficulty no one's attempted it and and even like I'm trying to plan next year and I'm thinking about doing two out of the three and then I say like oh well Courtney gets to do three why can't I do three but it's just the reality is like there's no way uh i I don't know um uh. i I think it just goes to show how dominant Courtney is right now in the sport how um she's able to to pull that off um i think it suits her pretty well that Western States was first. I think being more mm-hmm. runnable um, and typically you have more fresh legs at Western States because for the U.S., I, I guess it being earlier in June um, helps uh, that you don't have too many big races in your legs. But um, usually when you show up to that one, everybody's pretty fresh for the season. Um, so it's difficult. Whereas when you get into August, September, um kind of, you you can look at people that are really good, but they might have more tiredness in their legs. But um, yeah, Courtney just defied that. But I think you also have to kind of look at Katie Scheid's last year too, because even her winning UTMB the year before, and then she broke Ellie Greenwood's, cor- she went under Ellie Greenwood's course record as well. Um, kind of gets overshadowed a bit of, that's within one calendar year. Um, and pretty on par of, of pretty incredible performances. I think uh, it, it's a short list of people that have won both races. Um, mm. And although Katie didn't win because Courtney smashed Western States, um, she basically had the second best run ever there, um, which is pre- pretty good in my book. Um, if you kind of add some subjectivity to it, you could argue that it's it's up there with a win.
0: Wow. Yeah, you're so right. That does get overshadowed. That that happens in so many things in life, right? Um, well, note to self. Book Katie Scheid for podcast.
1: Yes. I think she'd be great and uh she's she's been over here doing the French thing longer than I have.
0: Can you talk about overcoming difficult times? You know, like everybody's talking about Jim and this U T M B win, but like this was your fifth try at UTMB, you know? Yeah. There's been some hard times at Western States and you know, from the outside looking in, the the shining moments are what we really see and focus on, but you haven't walked through just shining moments.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess one of my bigger uh, traits or skills has been just sticking to something and trying to adjust and learn because I would say it, I've approached UTMB this year very differently than when I did the race six years ago. Um, uh, I I feel like how Western States worked out because I, for people that don't know, um, I ran Western States first in 2016. Um, This is the biggest 100 mile race in the US that happens in California in June every year. Um, So I ran that first in 2016. I was leading that race all the way through like 93 miles and I I made a wrong turn at the end and kind of just fell apart physically from there and uh, didn't finish so well, but ended up finishing, I think like 19th or 20th. And then the next year I came back like fully supercharged to do good. Um, It was really snow, snowy in the beginning of the course and was just running really, really hard and basically ran myself tired and uh, I didn't finish that year. Um, so I had all these like almost or should have, would have, could have moments for two years. And then I came back in 2018, um, and everything really clicked. I would say I took a lot of pressure off myself, um, because at that point I feel like I kind of gave up putting the pressure of I'm going to win here to, I don't know what's going to happen because, uh, I, I've thought I was going to win. I thought I was almost there and and things have fallen apart so sometimes i think finding ways to deflect pressure can help a lot um i i find the french are actually very good at doing that in a lot of ways it's more culturally uh acceptable in french culture whereas in the us i think we're more direct and more blunt which can come across as or just more honest in some ways so just if you feel good enough that you can win, you just say like, yeah, I feel good enough to win today. And uh, a lot of maybe trying to be more reserved that way um, can help deflect some of the pressure even when you are feeling that good. Um, But really sticking with long-term goals, I think has been a strength of mine and not being discouraged by um, bad races or bad years. Um, And I mean, I think uh, th- throughout my life, I feel like I've had a lot of long-term goals and kind of nothing's really come the first try and it's always taken a lot of work and to have Western states happen that way and then now to have UTMB pan out that way. Um, it's mm. it's like having a fairy tale two times in one life and um, the first one felt mm-hmm. really special. this one feels really special, but to have both end up working out at the end of the day. Um, it's, yeah, just uh, pretty, pretty amazing.
0: Like, what now, though? Like, what now would make you just as excited to win or to conquer as winning Western yeah. States multiple times and winning UTMB?
1: Um, I think that's like constantly people's uh, questions and this and that. I think when you don't win, it helps light that fire a bit. Um, I, I mean, the, the natural thing is I, I would think if like you're in some sort of league uh, whether it's like uh, a soccer league or a basketball league and you win the championship well the goal of the next year is to try to win it again mm. so I think that's kind mm-hmm. of uh, perhaps my uh, vision for going forward is trying to replicate things but it will start with um, trying to find more balance with uh, how we're splitting time between the u.s and france Mm -hmm. so we still have our house in flagstaff uh so next year we'll be trying to do especially the first six seven months uh mostly flagstaff based and um i'll try to prepare again for western states and kind of go back there and it'll be nice to do a race that i haven't done for three two three years and i think it'll be a few years since uh I last race in the U.S., I guess, since Western States 2021. So even though it's very familiar and kind of sometimes a little vanilla to do the same race again, it's if you put some time in between when you did it and the last time, um, mm. it can add a little bit more fire. Uh, and then UTMB is interesting. Um, I mean, I think even as an organization, it's interesting and in how, I would mm. say, involved and structured it's really become with the entire sport of ultra running. Um, There's pros and cons to it, Um, but for the most part, I would say I'm most motivated by the competition side of uh, the ultras and having some of that pressure with it um, is attracting to me. So I I see myself um, trying to do both uh, in the future more, Um, but then kind of the whole reason a lot of people do this sport is for adventure and kind of peaceful exploration and these like great grand adventures Um, so it's hard to chase these competitive races when you've already done it and the adventure is not necessarily there uh, the same way where when you put on new races um, sometimes it's more inspiring because it's just something new a new place or um, new challenges physically that you have to adjust to so i i think athletes have to evolve as they're going
0: All right, listen up, Lagoon Pillows. Oh my goodness, they are back to sponsor the podcast. And let me just tell you, Lagoon is the best pillow I have ever laid my head on in my 39 and a half years of life. I have looked for good pillows for a very long time. And before Lagoon, I was settled on a higher quality pillow I got at Target. Uh, I I mean, I've tried Tempur-Pudic, I've tried other brands, and this is by far the best. I think because it's so customized. You fill out a two minute sleep quiz, okay? And whether you're a back sleeper, a side sleeper, a belly sleeper, however you sleep, these pillows are incredible. I have the otter. My husband Glenn has the fox. They are so perfect when you lay your head on them. And listen, if you want a more firm pillow, they have those options. If you want a more soft pillow, they have those options. And they even send you the filling so you can fill your pillow as full or as little as you want. It is truly customizable. And we all know that like sleep is so important. If you are not sleeping well and the thing that you are laying your head on is contributing to not good sleep, you need to fix it. Because we are all working really hard to pursue athletic goals and dreams, and sleep is so important. So listen, go to lagoonsleep.com slash And use the code Lindsay L-I-N-D-S-E-Y to get 15% off your order. And just then come thank me for changing your sleep life because Lagoon is amazing. All right, friends, back to the show. Well, I know that like if I'm if I am understanding correctly, there's not like appearance fees and things like that. They don't like really are they not compensating athletes like you would, well, obviously like you would see in like a New York City marathon? You know, it's yeah. crazy going from the roads to the trails because we all know that the big time pros on the roads are getting huge appearance fees just yeah. to run the New York City marathon. So maybe expand on that a little bit for people who don't understand the trail world about in that way.
1: Yeah, so marathoners will make... Um, a lot of times half or more of their annual salary just based off of showing up at a, at the New York city marathon and the Boston marathon specifically, like even historically people have blamed slow times for us marathoning based that Mm. Americans get paid a lot of money to stay at American races and they don't go to Berlin or Valencia to do just pancake flat, fast races. Um, but that's because they're making a lot of money to, to stay at these famous marathons in the U.S. However, in ultra running, um, I, I think the professionalization of the sport is really um, coming into its own. Uh, it's not, I mean, 20 years ago, there were definitely less than five professional ultra runners. Um, even 10 years ago, probably five to 10, like not many. But currently, I would say to have dreams, if like if you're coming out of college to want to adjust and to go into trail running, I think it's just as viable, um, or perhaps it's a better opportunity to look at trail running as a potential option for kind of a job if you want to continue running. Um, it's different; it takes a lot of like adaptability. But uh, like when I started ultra running in two thousand. Fourteen, fifteen, 15 like many times you pay your own way to get to the race you like our I would do races in Montana and I'd sleep in my car the night before um wow I mean some of my biggest races that I started with I think Lake Sonoma 2015 I ended up fifth but that was like the big 50 miler in the U.S. during the time um But I was just camping near the camp start, and I remember waking up around 4 a.m. with a fire just to get warm before the race started at, like, 6 or whatever. Um, It's just different. Uh, It comes from more of a dirtbag kind of background in the sport. So for runners to kind of initially ask for any sort of appearance fee is a bit blasphemy. Like, I think when I was starting, if you could get a comp to entry, um that was pretty good uh and then I would (laughs) say some places would maybe find accommodations for you um but even nowadays uh many times I'll stay away from race organization like compensations that way uh just so maybe there's less requirements of me to do before the race um (laughs) kind of wiggle out that way but um When you consider UTMB, um, their connection with or kind of part ownership by Ironman, the organizational side of it, how they've started buying races, not just like presenting races, um, it's definitely Mm -hmm. very business oriented. And right now there's um, pretty much no kickback to the athletes, I think just three years ago or so. Or four years ago, I think two thousand nineteen was the first year that they actually had a first prize money for UTMB, which was maybe like three thousand for winning it, and then now it's ten thousand for winning it, and it's just gone up a little bit at each time. And um, the financial side of ultra races being pushed to support the athletes hasn't really been there because I would say it doesn't come from a professional like background in the sport it's not an olympic sport and this and that you kind of get into trail running a lot of times because it's fun you you go outside uh you're in public spaces many of the times um it's a mass start event uh all these things so um yeah it's something that i think is changing a bit and in in yeah i i could see it um evolving uh in the next five years
0: yeah you know that's something i haven't thought about what do you think about it not being an Olympic sport? And do you think that's like something that might happen in the future?
1: Um, so I guess short answer is uh, I think the Olympics ruins a lot of sports. And I think uh, mm. it would not be the best for the sport. Um, I think it would be really hard to mm. put on. However, if it was an Olympic sport, I would love it if it was um, give or take around 100K distance. But the country kind of got to design its own course based off of its own landscape. So say it's in, um, I guess, Paris. So it's Paris. You're not in the Alps, but um, essentially the ultra is in Paris and it's some road ultra. It would be just this awful, uh, crazy thing. And you'd have a completely different requirements for the ultra runners that you'd have to select. Whereas if you're in um, a very mountainous area, you you could host a more traditional uh, UTMB sort of race. Um, I, I think... When Olympic sports, you only have an opportunity once every four years. It, and especially you only send three athletes per like event or um, per sport. It's really difficult to kind of make as healthy of a sport. Whereas when you look at, I mean, I think every sport is trying to get better. Um, but when you look at more annual sports and sports with more like grand slams or majors that happen every single year and multiple times mm-hmm. per year um, or say grand tours in cycling, it tends to be a bit healthier with supporting more professional athletes.
0: Um, I totally agree with you. That would be so challenging. Okay. This is probably a a boring basic question, but I, I, you were signed up for comrades, right? At one, one year when it was canceled. What do you think about comrades?
1: Yeah. Um, so I was, kind of set aside 2020 and 2021 to do road ultra stuff uh and it started in 2019 i guess um because 2019 i first did uh i guess it was my second attempt at a road 100k uh so again things not really coming very easy i actually did my first road 100k in 2015 it was one of my first like ultras ever but i got invited to be on the u.s team to go to the netherlands which actually on the ultra teams typically even for the u.s teams you're paying your own way um Mm. they'll help with some things but it's not fully funded like a track team um but uh i think i ran 705 um yeah camille heron passed me in that race i think Mm. i passed her back but uh she, I think she finished a couple minutes behind me, I'm pretty sure. Or maybe she finished a couple minutes in front of me. I'm not... Yeah, but right around there, we were having a race. Uh, I think she did set an American record, to be fair, at that one, so she ran pretty good. But then fast forward uh-huh. to 2019, um, Hoka put on the first of two uh, mm. um, Project Carbon X, um, and that one was in Sacramento, uh, so... But that one was kind of dual-purposed. I had an idea to try to set the world record in the 50-mile in route to doing the 100k. Um, So there's about a 12-mile difference between the two. And um, I kind of found out that the 50-mile pace is a bit too hard to maintain for 100k. And so after 50 miles, I, I exploded. And so my 100k time, again, was not very good. But... Um, I did ended up walking away with the 50 mile world record in 2019 and the person whose world record I, I broke was, or is Bruce Fordyce. So Bruce Fordyce is kind of like the super ultra legend of Comrades Marathon. Um, he won Comrades nine times, uh, mostly I think just in the eighties, basically he won all the Comrades races. Um, So the idea with Comrades kind of came up and basically I remember buying, I I booked everything in January, like I never plan ahead that far. Um, So January 2022 or 2020, sorry, I still had the US Mm. marathon trials to come up in February. An idea was to try to do a marathon block to to get some leg speed going to um, eventually do Comrades that summer. So marathon in February, Comrades in June. Um, but, and I booked everything for South Africa in January and then, uh, COVID hit and, uh, I felt like mentally I was dedicating the next year or two to more road ultra ideas. Um, and unfortunately that didn't work out with Comrades, but I ended up getting to try my third attempt at the road 100K. Um, and it went pretty good uh so i ended up missing the world record by 11 seconds that day um not too shabby but also there's just this finished on this long stretch on uh basically a car racetrack and and you could just see the the clock from really far away Mm -hmm. and you got to just kind of count the seconds as they went by and you missed the world record um Mm -hmm. so i think it was a little suspenseful to watch but uh That one hurt a lot and I think ultimately though I I also learned that my passion in running is not really running further on the roads um that was a I would say the marathon and then followed up the next January by a a road ultra was really hard on my body and I would say physically the training and stuff um You're just really hitting a lot more systems that way. I think it's really stressful. Um, And ultimately, I'm not gaining as much joy through the training Mm -hmm. for Road Ultra stuff or or even marathon training that I get from being in the mountains and um, going slower and hiking and uh, kind of exploring new places with views, uh, very big outdoor views, I would say.
0: Um, I heard you say that when you were marathon training, you capped out at 175 miles a week.
1: Yeah, I think I was really experimenting with, um, basically approaching it from a volume based side of it of if the volume gives me a strength in the marathon that, uh, I'm just going to double down on that. But ultimately I think in my long runs in preparation, we're going really well for it. I would do like 50 K long runs for the marathon. Um, but I'd be hitting them at in-flag stuff at altitude and running them like I think around five thirty or so <laughs> pace. And um, I think ultimately those ones. Th- there's one specifically that I was so tired. I, I signed up for a trail race that was a fifty k down in Phoenix to do my last long run. And I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna do this as my last long run. It will be fine. And I I really like ripped that course and it was a good run. <laughs> but. Uh, I didn't really come back for my workouts after that and I would say I definitely left my marathon effort in training um ah. which I mean when you're kind of going from the volume side of things and doing your long runs that far uh the the writings on the wall um you're you're flirting with fire to overtrain before the race
0: Are you glad you did it though? Like di- like dipped your toes in the marathon in the half marathon for a minute?
1: Not really. I, I could see myself going back for the half marathon. <laughs> um, I don't really have any desire to do the marathon. I like the half marathon because I've found that I can train for an ultra. And then with three weeks of just like basically two times a week, double workouts uh, in two to three weeks, I can probably hit 80 to 90% of my capacity for a half, like a pretty good half marathon. And then I'm actually yet to run a uh, a half marathon or marathon in a PIBA shoe yet. So that's my other excitement. Oh, the of new like, carbon I, I think, shoe? Um, well, the PIBA foam, I think, is where the, the biggest gains are from. The, it happens, oh. the carbon gives the shoe a bit more structure, I think. But uh, for the most part, yeah, there's been the shoe tech. But Hoka's got the uh, Rocket X2, and um, that one's doing quite well. Like, it just won the, the men's Ironman, uh, World Championships the other week, and um, other people have ran really fast in that shoe. So there's a good option from Hoka to potentially run a good half or full uh, marathon again. But I find I don't have to commit um, basically months of training to a half a half mm. marathon, whereas the marathon's just fully consuming, and I'm left very empty by the end of it. Where the half marathon, I see it as I could use it in a training block finish a training block that way and build on top of it for a season that brings a lot of workouts and leg speed to an ultra runner um, and uh, but I'm not left as depleted from it
0: uh, it's like having a new toy I don't know why it reminds me of like my dad when we were younger he'd like get a new motorcycle or a new like piece for like his whatever he was tinkering around in the garage this is like a runner's new toy the shoes yeah.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. It's like oh, let um, me see
0: how fast I can go in this thing.
1: Yeah, I think we're always trying to tweak things. So that's where even something like UTMB, you have a bit more equipment you have to do from like your rain jacket to your trekking poles mm-hmm. to your pack to your shoes to your entire outfits. Like I think I wore four different, five different shirts throughout UTMB, um, and kind of strategically planned based off of. Uh, temperature and weather what was going on because the humidity out here you you sweat through your shirt so quick and if your shirt's pretty wet you you get cold when you go over passes so um, you got to pay attention to more details like that so I I like the technical nuances like that to try to Mm. find little performance gains
0: Yeah. You know, I love listening to like interviews with athletes in different sports. And I was randomly listening to this interview of a, of a surfer and he was talking about like the small waves compared to the big waves. And like people mess up the big waves because they tend to overthink the big waves because they're like, okay, I do this. But if they would just like approach it like a small wave, they would probably dominate it. And I was like, how does that parallel to running? Do you think that parallels to like the ultra running compared to you going out and running the half marathon
1: perhaps i guess for me i i would say the half marathons maybe a little more simple um and it's nice but uh i would say on the flip side maybe going to bigger waves to go down to smaller waves was maybe a different strategy this year with um mm-hmm. the bigger wave for me was dabbling my my toes into ski mountaineering this winter because we're we're in the french alps there's basically no running um where we live during the winter months so the gear on that is quite complicated so now when you back off to trail running you're like ah i can manage this now like uh it's not so sophisticated where um the ski mo stuff there's so much to manage
0: i saw you rode your bike a hundred miles recently like Is that how you refresh and like rejuvenate after a big effort like UTMB? Or was that 100 miles when you were injured? That was when you were injured before you were training I was riding my bike a
1: lot um, when I, well, I I went back to Flagstaff while I was injured in June, kind of May, June. I, I turned my ankle pretty bad in May. So something interesting about the training block leading up to UTMB this year is it literally started with, three, four weeks of zero miles. Um, So it took a a bit more longer progression through things, but also some risk involved with how big of jumps I needed to do week to week just to get to the volume where I felt I needed to be. Um, But everything went well. Um, Yeah, I I like cycling a lot. Uh, I follow the sport and I would say I'm a bit of a fan of the sport. Um, I cycle quite a bit but i wish i had more energy to run as much as i do and then go for a bike ride every day uh but Mm -hmm. unfortunately i don't and they both kind of dabble in that internal energy i have um so i wish i could ride more but uh when my running decreases i like to try to increase my cycling um but sometimes it's important to to not cycle when i decrease my running like currently um (laughs) It's not, it's a little, it's still using the energy. I need to kind of build back up uh, from, I I need to recover a bit from UTMB still because uh, I'll be racing pretty soon now.
0: Yeah. What are you doing? Because that's the other thing. I I don't know if people know, like you do like a lot of like random smaller races too that just, we don't hear about over here.
1: Yeah. Like uh, I, the French got pretty excited about this one because so UTMB was September 1st. Um, Today's September 19th. I did a race on Saturday, wow. so, like, September oh my gosh. 16th or something. But it's a vertical kilometer race that's just outside our little village. Um, but it's quite popular amongst, like, the professional skiers to do these vertical races. And they're they're extremely great athletes. Uh, and so, like, I mean, you're talking in this little village race that had maybe 60, 70 people do a vertical kilometer Um I would say kids and older people are taking about uh, 50 minutes to 90 minutes to go up it. Um, But the ski guys, like a couple of them have VO2 maxes in the lower 90s. So you're talking like huge big engines, um, measurable. Uh, But I've found out since I've been here that I'm pretty good at racing the vertical races. Uh, So... Uh, so two weeks after UTMB just a couple of days ago, I did the vertical du Miraton and uh, ended up winning that one um, in <laughs> 35 minutes. but I was a minute slower than last year. Last year it was three weeks after UTMB. This year it was two weeks after. so but that's one of the bigger little events in our village that um, Americans will never find out about. but uh, the French the French kind of uh, caught wind of it and was just like, what are you doing? like how how, why? And it's just, uh, well, I have to, but I'm interested with some efforts after the ultras, like kind of once the soreness is gone, of getting the kind of super compensation effect from such a long effort, that once the soreness is gone, um, without doing further training, um, I think there's some adaptation that happens, but for a little while, I think you can Perform quite high uh, without doing more training, um, basically just recovery. And I'm trying to experiment more with that. And so I guess in basically about two weeks from now, so four weeks after UTMB, I'm going to try to do um, Nice 100K uh, in the south of France and we'll see how that goes. But uh, it'll be my first time kind of trying to figure that out. But you could also think of Courtney's whole summer a bit off of that because. She doesn't have time in between Western States Hard Rock UTMB to do full training blocks. She'll try to Mm -hmm. recover, get healthy, address anything she needs, maybe get in what she can depending on the time in between, but she's not having um, the same sort of training blocks. So um, I think there's something to be said about kind of this big uh, physiological adaptation happening from such an ultra event like that. and uh, I think she must be quite in tune with how to do that pretty well because it worked out all right for her.
0: Are you going to have a consultation with Courtney? <laughs> yeah, I
1: need to book one.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, and one of the things she told me was like when she was go went into Hard Rock and when she went into UTMB, it's like just not even thinking about like what had already happened. Like I'm going to try to win this race. This is my only race because I feel like it would be easy to let your mind let that slip in as an excuse right
1: yeah i think um you you need to focus more on what's in front of you but it's also a problem because i think um you also kind of need to savor these moments a bit it's not going to last forever um that's something that i've tried to keep in mind with this utmb win however trying to race four weeks after is very much (laughs) anti that but um yeah, it, it's a balancing act. But at the same time, to stay motivated enough, I think you have to look forward. So um, hopefully Courtney's now enjoying uh, a bit more of the accomplishment that she's done this year. But I'm sure she was pretty laser focused. She's very chill in attitude in this and that. But I, I think she was pretty laser focused in between the races to to do the right things. To just have the physical capability to do that.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like like you want to go do this race. Like, will that bring you joy? And that what brings you joy is your main motivator for why well, you do what you do.
1: It, it sets up next year is why, because <laughs> it. You, uh, oh, Western States, there's some more strategy than yeah, joy yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Western States changes its golden <laughs> tickets every year. It the past two years, UTMB top two would get into Western States, and then this year they switched it so the shorter distance race, and then. But they added this Nice race, and it's not the most popular race or this or that, but uh, yeah, it happens to be... I don't have to fly anywhere for a race, and um, it potentially sets up uh, going back and basing in Flagstaff for a training block for um, next year.
0: Okay, so I'm trying to be all like emotional and sweet and like, oh, it's joy, (laughs) but no, it's like, no, I want my golden ticket, and this is a way (laughs) to make that happen?
1: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much.
0: (laughs) Will, but will there be joy too? Will there be joy too?
1: Yeah. So the exciting part about this one is uh, once we leave for Nice next week, um, we're staying in the south a little bit for a couple days, but then we're going to Florence to meet up with some uh, uh, some of our good friends from Flagstaff, and I'm going on a bike trip. So uh, I'm not going oh, nice. to run. There's no running shoes, and uh, I'm going to try not nice. to run for a few weeks, and just uh, not, then I'm going to bike and, and enjoy that. But we're going to try to – Ride on some of the the white roads of uh, southern Italy.
0: How do you feel going into these big races, especially now that you've also won UTMB, and you were already kind of a target person, like Jim, oh, he's like top contender, expected to win. How does that feel to be the person that's like the target?
1: I mean, I think, again, it goes back to deflect, deflect, deflect. Uh, you, You try to just dumb it down of like, oh, you, point, you can point out the other strong people in the race. Um, you can point out if anything pops up in training. Uh, you, you can just try to downplay things. Um, it's a pretty mm. good strategy, not going to lie. Uh, but the writings on the law, like generally, um, I'll be considered a favorite for most of the ultras I'll, I'll enter. So um, I, I would say just trying to feel like it's more normalized and it's not a big deal and um just trusting the process that I've already been able to replicate a few times I at this point I I have more self-confidence in that um the really good performances I've had in the past that I'm able to do it again so it's just trying um you know it's going to be a hard day so it doesn't change anything that way
0: uh, was it Dylan who asked you about your Strava? So what's up with you? You don't share your Strava while you're training.
1: Um, no, Strava's up live right now, but uh, yeah, I took so it down. So what you um, what you
0: did before UTMB is up?
1: No, no, that one's uh, no, because I have to go back through and unprivate everything. It's just I don't care enough to to go through every single activity. Yeah. I've, I've done a couple, um, especially, like, the little segments that I, I liked and were some little efforts. Uh, I've oh, done wow. that. But um, for the most part, no, not not going to go back on that training. Um,
0: but why? Why do you want to keep it private?
1: It's just kind of diff- – so when people see your Strava and your Strava is up to date, um, it can just get this momentum of hype and stuff, and it just adds pressure sometimes. <laughs> when things are going well. Um, or say there, I mean, for me personally, it started um, as a. I wanted to maybe only upload about half going into the World Championships in June. But then, just ironically, like a, later that same week, I, I rolled my ankle really bad. And I'd already taken a few days off of posting. So um, it turned into just not posting because something did go bad. Into basically just keeping quiet about how that went, how recovery is going, am I hurt, am I not hurt? Um, Mm. And and for the most part, it worked really well because there's just... Since you're not getting posts about anything, people just don't ask questions of how things... They they just kind of forget. So uh, it's another strategy to kind of just decrease some of the pressure sometimes. But I Mm. think at, at this point, I feel maybe less pressure about what's going on with training that um i think if i'm lining up to a race then people can just know that i'm gonna be uh ready for it and fit so i think i need to be more confident going forward and not worrying about that and there's been just more nervousness about trying to win utmb and finally i would say between now i've won western states and utmb perhaps um not worrying about it so much and just everything else from here uh, is just kind of a lot of bonus. Um, But hopefully more bonuses to come. I don't know.
0: It's a big secret what Jim's doing. What is his training? Um, The last thing I just keep thinking about, I just keep going back to like when you talked about 2015. I'm like, that was only eight years ago. I mean, that's wild.
1: Yeah. but I would say most people start the ultra- running and ultra trail stuff when they're adults. So um, it's not really a kid's sport for 10 year olds to go run UTMB mm-hmm. and like get into it. And by the time they're 20, they're going to be winning it. Um, I would say it's right more of a late age sport, which makes it a bit interesting and different than most sports. And I'm not sure it's the best thing for kids to be doing the ultra distance. And I think you can learn all the skills doing, different sports or different disciplines um, and kind of a more well-rounded background will probably serve better in accomplishing things as hard as UTMB.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're only 33. So when we say eight years, I mean, you were only 25, but... Just like thinking about the trajectory of what happened in those eight years, like yeah. the fact that just eight years ago, you were like trying to get a sponsor, you know, and I'm sure all those sponsors are laughing now, like, oh, well, we should have yeah. talked to Jim back then.
1: Like I couldn't get free shoes in 2015. Yeah. <laughs>
0: 2015. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that that's just a really cool thing for people to think about, though, because we all have whatever our big dreams are. And it's like okay, so much can happen in eight years time, but, 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 but not only are you like super talented, you have a work ethic that I don't, what, like 0.5% of the population would be willing to do? I don't know. So, um, I guess my last question is like, where does your work ethic come from?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think I have like older parents, uh, in their like mid seventies or so. So perhaps it's kind of just comes from an older generational thing, but I mean, I I think it's strange even coming so far to win UTMB because like, um, pretty normal rural uh, suburb America in Phoenix, Arizona, running air conditioning, like sidewalks everywhere, just straight square streets, um, uh huh, flat roads. It's kind of one of the last places you'd think a kid from from Phoenix would, would be able to transition to doing something like UTMB successfully. So, um, I don't know. I think I'm really motivated by things that don't come that easily and, um, working towards them. Uh, I think it's interesting to me and kind of, um, uh, yeah, some ignorant self belief, uh, goes a long way.
0: Mm, I love that. Jim Walmsley. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me again.
0: Thanks so much for being here today, everybody. Thank you, Jim, for coming on the podcast. You can follow Jim on Instagram. He is Walmsley Runs over there. You can follow me. I am Lindsay Hine, 626. Learn more about this podcast and all the shows in our network at sandyboyproductions.com. Thanks so much for being here. And we will see you next week on I'll Have Another.